You know, we normally think of Thanksgiving as a time when we look around us and thank the Lord for all uh, that he's given us. It's all about an attitude of gratitude that's not only at the heart of spiritual health, but more and more we're learning it's at the heart of physical health. They've actually proven it through scientific research that gratitude is good for you. It's good not to engage, as someone said, in the making much of oneself that complaining requires. I had to think about that when I first saw it, but it is so true. It is good not to engage in the making much of oneself that complaining requires. And that's what Thanksgiving is good for. It's not just for his glory, but for our good. It's the time of the year when we remember how God, of course, has multiplied so many blessings to us. If we just look around us from the air we breathe to the, uh, the food that we eat. Henry Van Dyke put it this way, and I love this. He said, there are, a, there are a hundred touches of kindness that come to us every day to tell us that we are not orphans or outcasts upon the earth. Every gleam of beauty, every provision of bounty in the natural world is an evidence that we are in God's house. Let me read that again. There are a hundred touches of kindness that come to us every day to tell us that we are not orphans or outcasts upon the earth. Every gleam of beauty, every provision of bounty in the natural world is an evidence that we are in God's house, no matter what happens to us. Just like we sang, for all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart. To find. There are so many good things in our Father's house that we call the good earth. It's, it's a horn of plenty. It's a, a, a cornucopia of good. He multiplies so many blessings to us to the degree that no matter what we're going through, there is always far more reason for gratitude than for grumbling. And as I said, that's how we normally think of Thanksgiving. It's about having the godly gratitude of a true American, because this is a uniquely American celebration. No other nation has such a holiday. But Thanksgiving is not only about having the godly gratitude of a true American. We're going to see today that it's also about having the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim, which is what I'd like to talk about today. In this way, too, Thanksgiving is a, a uniquely Christian or American celebration because it goes all the way back to the pilgrims, as we know, when they celebrated all that they had at the first Thanksgiving. But even as they did, they fixed their hope not on the world that is, but on the world to come. These people lived, you might say, in eternity's sunrise. It's like the poet said, he who binds himself to a joy doth the winged life destroy. But he who kisses his joys as they fly lives in eternity's sunrise. These days more than ever, we need the godly gratitude of a true American that kisses God's gifts gratefully. But equally, we need the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim who kisses his her, uh, her joys, who clings to God alone, who lives in eternity's sunrise. 
In a lot of ways, that's what First Chronicles is all about. It's actually a Thanksgiving service that David organized after God, God had bountifully, bountifully supplied all that they needed for the building of the temple. And at the end of the service, he offered up a prayer where he summed up, really, the second meaning of Thanksgiving, the true meaning of Thanksgiving. We are not grasping them for dear life. He was saying, even as we build your temple with all these gifts, we're not investing our heart of hearts here because there is no abiding. Just as we ought to be saying, we sought to rebuild our nation, to return America to its roots, and certainly we, in a democracy, we are required to do everything we can. But we're certainly not investing too much of our heart of hearts here because we've got deeper roots and deeper hearts. We're pilgrims just passing through who are in the process of letting go, who work at not owning anything. Just like David, the man after God's own heart. Are you ready to let it all go? Are you holding his gifts lightly, kissing them gratefully, not grasping them? Gifts like your home, your car, your kids, your health, even your, fr your freedoms, if God forbid he should ordain that we lose them. It's like A.W. Tozer prayed. He's ta he talks about these toys. He says, dear Lord, in fact, why don't we pray this together? My coward heart fears to give up its toys I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished more than you, so long that they have become a very part of my living self, so that you may reign there without rival. Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's about having the godly gratitude of a true American. And it's also about having the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim who holds his or her toys lightly. Who kisses his joys gratefully. Who clings to God alone. Who lives in eternity's sunrise. For we look, said Paul, not at the things which are seen, 2 Corinthians 4.18, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And as we live for eternity, it gives us the centeredness, not the craziness, to be a part of the solution down here and not a part of the problem which I fear too many Christians are. Did you know that the Wall Street Journal, no less, gets this right? The heart of true thanksgiving, every thanksgiving, this other side of the coin when it comes to the true meaning of thanksgiving that we're just pilgrims passing through. None other than the Wall Street Journal has reprinted, some of you know this, the same article every Thanksgiving day for more than four decades now on the front cover. It's an account of what the pilgrims endured and how it was that they were able to endure it. A true account of what it can mean to be a true pilgrim, of what happened in 1620 when they left Holland and sailed for America. 
Every year, the Wall Street Journal publishes an excerpt from Nathaniel Morton's uh, 1669 book about what happened before in 1620. 40 years earlier, it captures the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim. And I'd like to read it. You'll need to listen carefully because the language is a little bit old-fashioned. But it will get you into the mind of a true pilgrim. Which we desperately need because in these difficult days and in what could be the difficult days to come, we need to return, return to our roots, to our forebears, because they can fortify our faith and anchor our hope in the right place so that we will be of some good earthly use. It's called, at least the Wall Street Journal titled it, Desolate Wilderness. The Desolate Wilderness. Listen. Here beginneth the chronicle of those memorable circumstances of the year 1620. As recorded by Nathaniel Morton, keeper of the records of Plymouth Colony, based on the account of William Bradford, sometime governor thereof. So they left that goodly and pleasant Dutch city of Leyden, which had been their resting place for above 11 years. But they knew that they were pilgrims and strangers here below. And looked not much on these things, but lifted up their eyes to heaven, their dearest country, where God hath prepared for them a city, and therein they quieted their spirits. Oh, we in America, American Christians need quiet spirits. Are you a true pilgrim therein? Therein have you quieted your spirit. When they came to Delft's Haven, they found the ship and all things ready. And such of their friends as could not come with them followed after them. And sundry came from Amsterdam to see them shipped and to take their leaves of them. One night was spent with little sleep, but with friendly entertainment and Christian discourse and other real expressions of true Christian love. The next day they went on board and their friends with them, where truly doleful was the sight of that sad and mournful parting. To hear what sighs and sobs and prayers did sound amongst them. What tears did gush from every eye. And pithy speeches pierced each other's heart. That sundry of the Dutch strangers that stood on the dock as spectators could not refrain from tears. But the tide, which stays for no man, called them away who were loath to depart and their reverend pastor falling down on his knees, and they all with him, with watery cheeks, commended them with the most fervent prayers unto the Lord and his blessing. And then with mutual embraces and many tears, they took their leaves of one another, which proved to be the last leave to many of them. They passed the vast ocean to the new land, with a sea of troubles before them and their expectations, they had now no friends to welcome them, no inns to entertain or refresh them, no houses or much less towns to repair unto to seek for succor. And for the season, it was winter, and they that know the winters of the country know them to be sharp and violent, subject to cruel and fierce storms, dangerous to travel to unknown places, much more to search unknown coasts. Besides, what could they see but a hideous and desolate wilderness full of wild beasts and wild men? And what multitudes of them there were of wild beasts and wild men, they then knew not. But which way soever they turned their eyes, save upward to heaven, 
they could have but little solace or content in respect to any outward object. Let me read that again. But which way soever they turned their eyes, save upward to heaven, which they did. They could have but little solace or content in respect of any outward object. For summer being ended, all things stand in appearance with a weather-beaten face, and the whole country full of woods and thickets represented a wild and savage hue. If they looked behind them, there was the mighty ocean which they had passed. And ahead of them, what could they see but a hideous and desolate wilderness? What if a hideous and desolate wilderness is what awaits us in our future? How do they make it through? Well, let me read it again. The very first thing they said, they knew that they were pilgrims and strangers here below. And look not much on all these things here below that we hold lightly. But lifted up their eyes to heaven, their dearest country, where God hath prepared for them a city. And therein, they quieted their spirits. And because of that, they founded one of history's greatest nations. They were some earthly good because they were rooted in heaven. How was it that they were able to do all this? Well, their theologian, John Calvin, gave the answer. Although believers are now pilgrims on the earth, he said, yet by their confidence they surmount the heavens so that they cherish their future inheritance in their bosoms with tranquility. No matter what happens. How was it that they were able to do this? Because they saw that truly there is no abiding. And my fear is that in looking back to our roots on days like Thanksgiving, we're not looking back far enough. We're holding on to what we became as a nation as though our lives depend on it. And fighting like cornered animals to become that nation again, rather than returning to our deepest roots and becoming true pilgrims. We're not going back far enough. The very history of our declining nation, our oldest forebears should teach us as David tells us that there is no abiding and so like the pilgrims while we must fight for the good of our country we are required to under God in a democracy <laughs> we must we dare not put our eggs in anything earthly we dare not hold on to our toys too lightly or we could end up Bleeding profusely, like Tozer said. Who knows what desolate wilderness lies before us? Like our forebears were, we need to be anchored as never before in something that's deeper, something that's higher. The great essayist Wilfred McClay put it this way. He said, even as we give thanks for our nation this Thanksgiving, the example of the pilgrims remind us that this beautiful place is not our home. That we were not made for it or for any other earthly nation, but for God alone. 
The pilgrims remind us that even this great nation, like all things here below, is imperfect and will perish someday. That even as we make our homes, plant our gardens, stock our kitchens, and raise our families here, there will come a time when those families are no more. When even the least trace of our yet unborn children and grandchildren will have vanished. Our houses will be torn down and every token of earth's grace and beauty will have decayed into dust and been scattered into the air. The pilgrims remind us that this city on a hill, like every earthly city, is not the city for us to abide in. And returning to our roots means just as much realizing that as anything else. Because those are our deepest roots. This side of glory, there is no abiding. And so, McClay concludes the essay with this. We are fortunate to be citizens of a nation founded in part by the pilgrims. It's a paradox, one which in some sense captures the essence of the matter. Long may our nation prosper, and may we always have hearts capable of gratitude for what we have been given, but may we also always be pilgrims who seek God's kingdom first. You know, in this age of unrest, when more than ever we're seeing that there is no abiding, when who knows what wilderness lies before us, are you more an American than a citizen of heaven? Are you a true pilgrim? If you are, you'll pray the pilgrim prayer that we sang earlier. You'll want it more than anything. In fact, as you're led, pray it with me. We've already done it once. Let's do it now that we know the context as I pray it aloud. Jesus, draw me ever nearer as I labor through the storm. You have called me to this passage, and I'll follow, though I'm worn. May this journey bring a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith, and at the end of my heart's testing, with your likeness, let me wake. There's the hope. Jesus, guide me through the tempest. Keep my spirits stayed and sure. When the midnight meets the morning, there's the hope. Let me love you even more. Let the treasures of the trial form within me as I go. And at the end of this long passage, there's the hope. Let me leave them at your throne. Are you a true pilgrim? How do you become one? Well, Thanksgiving tells us, tells us how. It tells us how in some powerful ways. Because it's uniquely, we, we need the godly gratitude of a true American because it's a uniquely American celebration. The gratitude of the pilgrims on the first Thanksgiving. A gratitude that can see even in the desolate wilderness that there are a hundred touches of kindness that come to us every day to tell us that we are not orphans or outcasts upon the earth. Every gleam of beauty, every provision of bounty in the natural world is an evidence that we are in God's house. The godly gratitude of a true, of a true American is the opposite of complaining, which turns you, if you think about it, into a squatter and not a sojourner. 
Because the more you complain, the more you focus on what you don't have, the more you'll cling on what you do have for dear life. The more you engage in making much of yourself that complaining requires, the more you'll make too much of this life. Which leads to the second thing. You become a true pilgrim, not only by cultivating the godly gratitude of a true American like they did when they celebrated Thanksgiving, but by cultivating the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim that came long before they celebrated Thanksgiving. Which is just what we'll be doing next week. The first Sunday of Advent, and we'll do it the Sunday after Christmas. For two Sundays, we'll focus on heaven. We'll couch the Christmas season, you might say, before and after, with the ultimate uh, reason for the season. The reason he came in the first place, who was born in a manger so that ultimately we could be with him forever. This year, when so much feels like the desolate wilderness, and who knows what will happen in the year to come, a year marked by separation and uncertainty and anxiety, At a time and more than anything, we need hope as we look to the year to come. We're going to begin and end the Christmas season with a pilgrim's vision of heaven. And once we're done, we'll see that although believers are now pilgrims on the earth, yet by their confidence, they surmount the heavens so that they cherish their future inheritance in their bosom with tranquility. And with that spirit, we'll enter the new year. So that'll be next week, which, believe it or not, is the first Sunday of Advent and the Sunday after Christmas. And then for the three Sundays that come in between, the three remaining Sundays of the Christian Christmas season, Jim Murphy, Jeff Jeffrin, and I will focus on three things that are directly related to the reason for the season and directly related to the times that we're in. First, how to have peace in the midst of anxiety. That'll be Jeff. Second, how to have hope in the face of uncertainty. That'll be Jim. And then the Sunday before Christmas, how to find connection in the midst of separation. And that'll be me. For these three things to be kindled inside of us, we'll need two things as we get ready for this season. We'll need the truth, which you'll be hearing for five Sundays of the Christmas season, but equally, we need the Spirit. We will need the Spirit to win the truth home to our anxious hearts. And so, we thought we'd prepare the way today for all of that by praying for the Spirit, that the worship leaders would come forward. Make this your personal prayer as we sing, O Breath of Life, come sweeping through us.